It's Sunday morning, and we are in a study on how Christians are supposed to respond to people who are against them. They are trying to get gain vengeance or because they feel like they've got a vendetta. Let me read a verse to you over here in Matthew 11. Matthew 11. And this, people misunderstand this when they read it. When the Bible says, in verse 28, if you don't define the words, you're not going to know what they mean. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, the word of rest is katapasis. It means to settle down. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. If you don't study the culture of the day, you're not going to know that a yoke was the laws of a kingdom. Yoke. Laws of a kingdom. Do we have to abide by the laws of God? Why, certainly we do. Do we always do that? No, we have an inner man and we have an outer man. The outer man wrestles with the flesh. The outer man, you can read all about that outer man in the seventh chapter of Romans. The inner man is Christ in you. When the Bible says, whosoever is born of God, which is the inner man, doth not commit sin. For the seed of God remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. That's over in 1 John 3 and 9. And then 1 John 1 and 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Paul talks about an outer man that can't quit sinning in Romans 7, an inner man that can't sin. But the longer you live... You'll go through fire and trials until that inner man practically overtakes the outer man. You'll end up being an old man or old woman, and you'll have a thin veneer of sin, but it'll still be there. You don't get completely out of sin until you die and get your new body. Now, when he says, my yoke is easy, it doesn't mean life as a Christian is going to be easy. It does not mean that. He says, I'm meek and lowly in heart. Now, the word meek, praus, P-R-A-U-S. It means tame. Now, God has to tame us. Because when we come to a knowledge of Christ, we have a whole lot of the outer man that likes to get angry that likes to be jealous, that wants to have vengeance. Has anybody ever wanted to have vengeance besides me? Huh? You ever wanted that? I've wanted it. I've wanted to kill people when I was younger because they did me wrong. Well, you're not supposed to do that. My yoke is easy, he says. Now, that word easy doesn't mean it's an easy life being a Christian. It comes from, it's the word Christos, C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S, C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S, 
we actually get the word Christ from that, Christos, Christ, Christos. We get the word Creo, C-H-R-I-O, that is the word anoint, one in, I'm sorry, one in, anoint, and Crea, C-H-R-E-I-A, and that's anointed, and what are we anointed with? We're anointed with truth. That's what 1 John 2.27 says. We're anointed with truth or taking off the cover. So my yoke is, this word krestos means useful, useful, or to meet a need. It doesn't mean living for Christ is easy. It's not. It's difficult. I love the verse over there in in 1 Peter 4, look at 1 Peter 4 very quickly. This is one of my favorite verses when it comes to the Christian life. How's it supposed to be? Well, it's supposed to be persecution. All that will of God in Christ Jesus shall persecution. You'll know that no man should be moved by these afflictions there in 2 Corinthians 2 and 3. No man should be moved by these afflictions knowing that you were appointed thereto. You're appointed to affliction. Huh? Four. First Peter 4. And I love this verse here because we're talking about David and Saul in this lesson just like we have been every Sunday morning. When you look at the Old Testament stories that will tell you how you're supposed to live... Saul was jealous of David. He wanted to kill David because he thought David was trying to steal his throne and David wasn't trying to steal anything. God appointed David to the throne of Israel because Saul was living in rebellion. And, and God has Samuel tell Saul, your day is over. Now, look here in, in 1 Peter. I'll get it in a minute. First Peter. Or is, no, Second Peter, excuse me. Sometimes I'll get these mixed up. No, it's not there. Alright. We're supposed to be suffering for Christ. First Peter 4. Beloved, think it not, verse 12, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice when, when these trials come. The trials are to perfect us, but rejoice in so much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye shall be glad also with exceeding joy. And if ye be reproached, People say you need to be happy as a Christian. Reproached, O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O, O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. Onizo means to be infamous. If somebody tries to gossip about you and make you infamous in other people's eyes, you're not supposed to respond to that. If you be reproached, happy are ye, for the spirit of the glory of God resteth upon you and on the... And on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer 
or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify God on his behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And what is God's house? That's us. Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are ye? And if it first begin at us, which is this house, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous, this is one of my favorite verses on how you are saved. If the righteous scarcely be saved, the word scarcely is the word mogis, M-O-G-I-S. It comes from the word molis, M-O-L-I-S. It means with great difficulty. You're not saved unless you're going through difficulty. Saved, you're saved from yourself because you're going through fire and trials. God's going to save you from that outer man, and then he's going to give you a new body one day. So if the righteous scarcely be saved with great difficulty... If you're not going through difficulties, somewhere in your life you're going to have to. Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing and unto a faithful creator. When you suffer, I've, I've had people say, well, I suffered for Christ. I left my wife and I'm going through a divorce. Well, I'm sorry. That's not suffering for Christ. That's suffering for self. Now, we're talking about Paul, uh, not Paul, Saul and David. Saul wanted to kill David because he thought David was trying to steal his throne. He wasn't trying to steal his throne. God gave him the throne of Israel. If you're ever jealous and you were looking for vengeance, on somebody because you think they stole your position, they stole your money, and they they have no right to it. It doesn't matter if morally they did. The point is God brought about that situation in your life, and he's teaching you to get over that outer man. How are we to be when it comes to being like Christ? The Bible says we've been predestined whom he did foreknow, foreknow, prognosco, P-R-O, G-I-N-O-S-K-O. Whom God did foreknow. Gnosko means to know intimately. Pro means before. So the people that God knew is his from the foundation of the world, those are the ones that he's predestined, prohorizo. Whom he did foreknow. Not what? Whom? Whom? Whose? Masculine gender, singular. The people that God foreknew, those are the ones that he's predestined, pro-horizo. Now, you, most of you know this. Pro means before, and horizo, it's an H sound, it's a breathing sound, H-O-R-I-Z-O. That's our word, Horizon means to predetermine for the horizon or for the light, for the boundary of light. The people God foreknew, he's predestined us unto something. Not just predestined us to be in heaven. That's not predestination. Unto something. The Bible says the ones he foreknew, he's predestined to 
be conformed. I'll get it in a minute. Can't spell when I'm up here. Conformed to the image of Christ. Conformed to the image of His Son. Image is the word icon. It means likeness. Now, if you're going to be conformed, that means you're not conforming when you first come to Christ because you've got a whole lot of the outer man in you that wants revenge on people that hurt you. But when you do that, you have something inside that says something's wrong with you. You're not supposed to be losing your temper or getting revenge on anybody. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. If people are going to be paid back, you're not going to pay them back. I have learned that as an old man. I have found out every fight that I was ever in in my life, I didn't accomplish one thing. Can you remember arguing with somebody? Can you remember you know, them saying right in the middle of the argument, well, now I see what you're talking about. They're not going to say that. They have got their way and you got your way and you can't convince people. The only thing you can touch people with is a soft answer. The Bible says... A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stirreth up anger. If you will speak to people softly, now whenever I'm saying be soft, be meek, and be kind, remember the kind is not nice. I got a track over here. The title of it is Kind is Not Nice. Because kind is not nice. Kind actually comes from that same word easy. Crestato, C-H-R-E-S-T-A-T-O-S. You remember the word easy? My yoke is easy. Crestos, C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S. Crestatos is the word kind. Remember that word easy means to meet a need. Meet a need. A need. And crestatos, kinds, means to supply what is needed. So kind means to give people what they need. What they need is the truth. But they need it gentle and firm. But they don't need you to jump their case. We, don't, we shouldn't be jumping each other's case at all. Never. Boy, it took me a long time to learn that. So, means to meet a need. There are many words that are connected to that word kind. Christ is a part of it. Anoint is a part of it. I've got a whole list of them here. You have... The word goodness, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. It's a part of this right here, right there. So if you meet a person's need, that's not nice. <laughs> kind is not nice. Nice is a French word. It's the word nisker, N-I-S-C-E-R-E. Nisker is a construction of nay, meaning no, and skir, S-C-H-E-R-E, which is our word science or knowledge means knowledge. When you act nice, you are acting like you don't know what's going on and you are playing dumb. That's not, that's not kind. What you're doing, you're hiding the truth when you're nice. You kids, act right. Don't act like you do at home. You ever said that? Don't, you act nice. Pretend. What you're telling your kids, be a hypocrite. 
Hypocrite was an actor in the first century under an assumed character. You're just acting. That's what nice is. Nice is pretending. You have to learn. The hardest thing in the world to learn as a believer is to be blunt but not cutting and abrasive. Boy, that is a fine line on, on the getting on the right side of the fence. Be kind. Be gentle. Be meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You have to be emptied out. Poor, P-T-O-C-H-O-S. That's the likeness of Jesus, P-T-O-C-H-O-S. It means emptied out, emptied poor. Emptied out of self. It has the idea, the writers tell us, of being a beggar, over in the corner saying, whatever you would have me to have, Lord. Boy, when we can come to that. We don't pray for specific things. I have learned to pray as I get older. There's a couple of words that have been translated prayer. One of them is not actually the word prayer. You have the word prosuchomai, P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-O-M-A-I. In prosuchomai, that's the word prayer. In pray is the word P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-E. That's the verb form. It comes from pros, pros, and U-K. Pros means to toward or forward. That's the word we use when we say, I'm pro-life. I am pro-this or pro-that. We're for something. UK means to will or desire. Will or desire. Now that's basically the only word prayer. They have translated the word supplicate, which is a word. When you supplicate yourself to someone, you bow to their will. When a man came into a, he would be a knight and he'd come into the king's presence in the old world. Um, in England during the days of the knights, he would come and bow to the king and say, uh, to hear is to obey. He'd say, I'm supplicating to you, king. Well, the word in the Bible, supplication, is the word D-E-E-S-I-S. It is a form of D-O, which means to bind. So you're binding yourself to the king. So that's, in essence, the same thing as prosuke or prosukomai. You're binding yourself to the will of another. Same thing. So when you see supplicate, that's what it's about. It's even the same word as bind and loose. Bind and loose. Bind is the word do. In fact, it's a, it's a form of d-o-u-l-o-s. Doulos is the word slave. Whenever Paul would say, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. He didn't mean a paid servant. The word is doulos. He means a slave. I am Christ's slave. I am bound to God now. So, that's the word supplicate. By prayer and supplication, we're supposed to bow to God's will. Supplication. All right. Now, we're talking about what are we supposed to be like as believers? Gosh, whew. you know how long I've been putting this off, teaching this. 
This is one of the hardest things to teach. We have to be gentle. How can you be gentle and tell the truth at the same time? There's a verse, you've got to really learn what it means over here in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. Look here. 2 Corinthians. Learning how to live. Do you know I've just really learned how to live? Well, I won't say. I've, it's been coming for a long time. But this thing of being gentle with the world has really come over me in the last two years. Just be gentle with people. Be kind to them. Look here in in Hebrews. No, not Hebrews. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 3. 3. I hope I can help you understand what the likeness of Jesus was. Because predestination is about being like Christ and having his virtues, his understanding, his tenderness, his gentleness, his meekness. And at the same time, being firm, being blunt. Each time you find the word blunt, it has the same meaning as this right here. Right here in Second Corinthians 3 and verse 12. Seeing then we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Great is an important word too. Great plainness. You don't just use plainness. You use great plainness. Polus is the word great. P-O-L-U-S. Polus. It means often. You need to use plainness often. Well, I can't even spell after. O-F-T-E-N. Often. And plainness is the word P-A-R-R-H-E-S-I-A. Parhesia is the word plainness. It's also the word blunt. Anytime you see the word blunt, it's that word parhesia. It comes from pos and e-r-e-o. It means, pos means all of the time you need to use bluntness. Don't beat around the bush. Say it to people the way it is. How many of you, somebody, if you get in a conversation with somebody, you're hesitant to go ahead and say the plain truth? Are you scared to tell them that Christmas is pagan? Whenever I say Christmas is pagan, I always say it without any inflections in my voice. I would say, you know, Christmas was, it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. I said like it's a fact, like everybody knows this, don't you know it? I don't say it to put them down. I say, well... Predestination is true. We teach that at, at our church. We teach predestination that God doesn't love everybody. I say it as a matter of fact. I don't say it with, oh, Christmas is pagan. Or predestination is true and God doesn't love everybody. Never talk to people like that. I just say it the way it is, but I will not compromise while I'm being gentle and plain. If you do that, people will get used to what you're saying. They'll say, well, don't ask her. She will tell you. If you don't want a plain answer, don't ask me a question. If you think I'm going to side with you, and you think there's a possibility I won't side with you, don't ask. Because I will tell you, I don't beat around the bush ever. No more. I used to maybe a little when I was young, but not anymore. Now, how was Jesus? What was he like? 
Well, he was gentle. I'm going to look at the word gentle here. There's two words for the word gentle. Well, sometimes they're translated various words. You have the word, you have the word epios, E-P-I-O-S. Epios means affable. You don't hardly ever hear that word used. Affable means easily approachable. I heard that in an old Western film, White Urban, and, uh, and uh, White walks up to one of his deputies and said, you're too affable. It means you're too easygoing when you're arresting these crooks that are drunk. You can't, we have to be affable with the Word of God. We have to be friendly, easily approached. Let me give you, go over here to 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. I'm going to be a few weeks on this because I'm going to get back to Saul and David because Saul was a believer and he was everything but affable. He was vengeful. He wanted to get David, wanted to kill him. We're not supposed to be getting revenge on anybody. Look here at 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7. But we are, well, let me read a little bit before this. Our exhortation, verse 3, was not of deceit. Plane. I wasn't trying to lead you astray. Plane. P-L-A-N-E. It looks like plain, but it means to deceive or lead away. Nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. When I talk to you, I don't use dolos. It's not the word D-O-U-L-O-S. It's the word D-O-L-O-S. That's the word guile. It means to speak or live by trickery. Don't manipulate people by tricking them or by embellishing things. Just tell them the blunt truth. That's it. If you can find out what it is. But as we were allowed of God to put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God. Every time you open your mouth, if you're going to be like Christ, think of who you're trying to please. Those people you're standing there with because they're kinfolks and you don't want to offend them. But God which trieth our hearts, for neither at any time used we flattering Words. The word flatter is the word collax, K-O-L-A-X. It means to lick the hand. It means to fawn over somebody. You know what fawning is? I just, you know, I just love you so much and, and you're such a wonderful person. And it's okay to say, Brother Jim, I love the message, but boy, when you get over, over the top, I'm sitting back and looking at you. Woo. Neither used we at any time. It has a same basic meaning as one of the words for worship, which means to lick the hand. Proskineo. P-R-O-S-C-H-U-N-E-O. Proskineo is a construction. This is worship. One of the words worship. 
P-R-O-S-K-O-E-N. It means toward the hound. It has the idea of the dog that comes and licks your hand and says, you're my master and whatever you want me to have. That's what we have to learn. God, we need to be pleasing God and not men. Now he says, we didn't use flatting words, and you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, pleonexia, avarice, greediness, P-L-E-O-N, P-L-E-O-N, E-X-I-A. It is a form of pleonectase, P-L-E-O-N-E-K-T-E-S, which is the word covetous. It means to want more, but it means more than to want more. It means to have avarice in your heart and want more any way you can get it, to extort, to be greedy. He said, we didn't come there doing that, Paul tells the Thessalonians. Nor of God is witness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others. I wasn't there to get glory from you. You don't need to be hanging around other believers trying to get self-glory. The glory belongs to God. When we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, but we were gentle, epios, easily approachable. You could approach me, epios. We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. As a nurse cherisheth. That's what we were when we were to you. That's exactly how you're supposed to be to other people. Now, go over here. You're not supposed to fight. Never had revenge. The servant of God does not strive. I've, brought, I've been bringing this out. The Bible says the servant of God does not makomai, M-A-C-H-O-M-A-I. Is not macho. That's our word macho. Doesn't want to fight ever. Has anybody got over that yet? Huh? Has anybody had that? Want to fight? With somebody doing you wrong? Uh, an ex-wife? Uh, ex-husband? Don't matter what they do. You know where they are? They're exactly where they're supposed to be. It's, that's the way it's supposed to be. If we could get it in our minds that all the evil stuff that comes in our life is God-ordained. If God would just stick his head out of the sky with a, a head that was about a trillion miles wide and had a mouth that was a hundred million miles wide and say, Hey, I'm doing this. Would we behave? Well, he's, uh, he's got a mouth bigger than that. It's called the Word of God. We need to understand that he's in charge. Let's go to this other word. This is only mentioned twice. 2 Timothy 2, 24. 2 Timothy. Next couple of books over to the right. 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy 2. All right. 24, this is that word that I just mentioned. And the servant of the Lord must not mock my, but be gentle 
epios, easily approachable. Well, I'll be easily approachable if somebody approached me. He said, that's not what it says. It says just be easily approachable. Be plain, be straight, say the word of God the way it is. If you don't have the answer, say, I'll come back and talk to you later. We'll find out about that. Unto all men apt to teach, patient. We're to be patient with one another. Now, let me give you a couple of other words that Christ is. Let me give you this word. Give me the word epiikos. This is a word that's the word gentle. E-P-I-E-I-K-O-S. E-P-I-E-I-K-O-S. Do you notice something in this word, ikos? It means, it's from icon, means likeness. It means to cover our life with the likeness of Christ. That's what it means. You know, we need to know how we're supposed to live and act. It's not losing our temper. I have been the worst at that. When I was young, I've been blamed for losing my temper when I was young. I'd, I'd lose it, but it was always trying to, I was trying to defend what was right. I never was unreasonable. I always reasoned things out. But I'd yell and scream and get mad because somebody's hurting somebody and doing somebody wrong. We're not supposed to defend what's right that way. Because you cannot change people's minds. Have you figured that out yet? Can't change nobody's mind. Has anybody ever changed? Have you ever changed anybody's mind? Have you done any fighting? <laughs> you can't change people's minds. That's like, that's like making people born again. Can you born them again? No, you can't do that. Now, Epiikos means what is appropriate, or it means mild, general, or moderation. I got to give you a verse here. Moderation. Epiikos. Now we had a lady used to come here. She'd probably get mad if I gave this example. <laughs> moderation. Uh, her husband told her he was an alcoholic, and. Uh, and he read this verse over in Philippians 4 and 5. Philippians 4. But this is the word epiikos. It means to cover our life with the gentleness of the likeness of Christ. And look over here in Philippians 4. Philippians 4. <laughs> I can't. This was funny when she told me this. She said her husband said, well, I drink in moderation. <laughs> you mean you drink uh, when in epiikos appropriately, mild and gentle? <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. I'm sorry, whoever you are, lady, but I, I just thought that was hilarious when you said that. Philippians 4. Philippians 4. This tells us how we are supposed to live. Look at verse 3. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. This is somebody that's a fellow believer. This is Paul writing to Philippi. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement, and also with 
other, my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let moderation be known unto all men in the church. It don't mean drink moderately. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. I, I drink in moderation. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. Merimnao. It don't mean don't drive wild and <laughs> drive 80 miles an hour in a 50 mile zone. It don't mean that. And it don't mean run into anybody if you want to. The word careful is the word that we recognize. Merimnao. Remember that? M-E-R-I-M-N-A-O. Merimnao, it's, it's the same word as take no thought for your life. Take no thought. There in Matthew, the sixth chapter. Take no thought for your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink. Do not be distracted from the things of God by the things of this life. That's all it means. Be careful for nothing. Michael leaves sometime and he'll say, be careful for nothing. I say, okay. But in everything by prayer and diocese. Everything... It's amazing to me what people will use to get their way in the Bible. Every time the Bible will say, whatsoever you ask, when you pray, pray, believe, ye shall have, and ye shall have them. The problem is ask, pray, and believe are all conditional words. Don't mean you, if you can ask, you'll receive it. Ask is conditional. Remember that? What's the word? Iteo. A-I-T-E-O. We receive the things that we ask. 1 John 3.22. Here's, it don't matter. He knows what we have need of before we ask. You ask of God, ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. It don't mean ask God for whatever you want. You have to ask. This is a legal word. It's a form of the word A-I-T-E-M-A. Itema. Itema to show you how legal it is. This is the word that Pilate used when he said, I find no fault in him. I find no legal reason to put him to death. So, iteo is a legal term. 1 John 2.22. 2.22 says, We receive the things that we ask if we do two things. One, two, keep his commandments. Did I say two? What did I say? 3.23. We, if we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So you can't just ask for anything. You have to know what keeping his commandments is. You have to, can you do all of his commandments? I couldn't understand that when I was young. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Where, is it, where are his commandments? He writes them on fleshy tables of our hearts. The word keep is the word tereo. T. E-R-E-O. It means to guard against loss. They're in our hearts, and we will tell people, here's the truth. 
I will battle for them. I may not be able to do them all, but it is the truth. And you'll keep them in your heart and you won't say, well, let me change them. It means something else. I get to change it and apply it how I want to. No, you don't. You've got to keep his commandments. It's as though you are a guard in front of a vault. And inside the vault is the commandments of God. And that's your heart. And you say, you can't change these. Not when you're around me. I may not be able to do them all, but I will guard them with my life. That's what it means. And pleasing is the word euaresco. E-U-A-R-E-S-K-O. Aresco means pleasing. To please. And you means a well-pleasing. This is the basic same word as Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, how do you do that? Telling the truth. Huh? Telling the truth. Telling the truth and being crucified for it. You become a sacrifice by telling people the truth. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Acceptable is the basic same word as pleasing. Aresco, A-R-E-S-K-O. Aresco, this word you aresco, actually you arestao, well-pleasing. When you take your cross and die daily, that is pleasing to God, and you can't get what you ask without death to self. Now, if you're asking for a new car, you can't get that. That's not pleasing to God. You can't stipulate what you want, can you? So you have to, the only way you receive what you ask is it has to be pleasing. The only way you can pray, you have to bow to the will of God. The only way you can believe, which is faith, it's the verb form of faith, and faith is death to self, isn't it? So ask, pray, and believe are all death to self. You can never start praying, God, give me a new car. And God, by the way, I'd like to have a brand new one, and I'd like to have a real sporty one. Now, you can't do that. That's not prayer. That's wishing. Now, we're talking about this word, epiaikos. That's the likeness of Christ. You want to be like Christ? Then get yourself out of the picture. Go to the mirror and say, you have to go. But you know what? Life becomes easier to live because you're not trying to impress anybody with what you got. When you start buying to the will of God, I drive an 18-year-old car and I'm not even interested in a new car. My car drives like a new one. I don't care about new cars. I don't care about fancy cars. I keep saying, if you tell people, if you tell people Christmas is Christ's mass, it's Roman Catholicism and it's paganism, and predestination is true and God doesn't love everybody and most people are going to hell when they die. And by the way, what do you think of my car? <laughs> They're going to say, you're a hypocrite and you're a liar and you said all those things and, and you got that nice car and you got this nice house and you got this and that. They're not going to like you. I don't really care 
I only wear these shirts to come to church and I always have a shirt on all year long that has something on it like God doesn't love everybody or predestination is true. I wear them all the time. I wear them in the winter. I try to find an excuse or find a temperature where I can take off my coat so I can walk into a bank or into a store where they can read this on my shirt even when it's cold. Because I want to tell, want people to know where I stand. I want to make a statement. I stand here. And you don't have to be preaching to people to witness to them. You can have, a, have something on your shirt, and your blouse. It takes a lot of guts to do that because you've got to have some answers for people. And I never jump people's case. What do you mean by that? Well, I don't mean anything. That's what Jesus said. He said... Only few are going to heaven when they die. I didn't say that. I had this shirt. said, uh, The wicked prosper in the world and increase in riches. I went into a service station back 10 years ago or more. And the guy went, he saw the front of my shirt. And he said, But God wants us to have money and things. And I said, why are you whining at me? I didn't say that. That's over in Psalm 73rd chapter, verse 12. He started whining at me, getting upset because I was rocking his boat and sinking his ship. Just with a Bible verse. I said, don't whine at me. Tell God that. Now. I want us to look at some more of these words, epios. Look over here in Titus 3, 2. It may take me a while to get through all these. Titus. Knowing what these are about, Titus 3 and verse 2. Let's read 1 and 2. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities, talking about the believers from the previous chapter, to be subject to principalities, powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to do every good work. We're supposed to drive the speed limit. You know that, don't you? Huh? Does anybody not understand that? You're not supposed to rob banks. You're not supposed to go out and cuss in front of people. You're not even supposed to lose it once in a while and say, damn or hell. You're not supposed to do that. That's a bad testimony. Now, I hope I hit somebody there. We're to speak evil of no man. Well, that's hard, isn't it? Uh, speak evil is amakos. A-M-A-C-H-O-S. A. M-A-C-H-O-S. Amakos comes from macho in the alpha primitive. No fighting with your mouth. Speak evil of no man to be no brawlers. Amakos. But gentle epiikos. Superimpose the likeness of Christ upon you, showing all meekness, proutes, be tame. What do you mean being tame, Jim? We have a tendency when we first come to Christ, we have this outer man dominating our life, and he wants to jump people and say, you need to understand the truth. That's not the way to talk to people. 
I never talk to people like that out in public. I don't force myself on anybody ever. I'll talk to them as long as they listen. Then when their eyes start crossing, I'll say, well, that's enough. And I'll quit. I'll walk away from people if they don't want to talk. And I don't try to get into a deep conversation with them. I'll just say something simple. Well, I don't celebrate Christmas. I found out that it was paganism. I'll just say something like that without a lot of inflection in my voice. Just say it as a matter of fact. It's like old Dr. Kemp used to say, if all you know is John 3.16, you can say it with all the power and the might of your voice. If all you know is a certain word, say it, and say it clear, and say it loud. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, aneotos, unintelligent, A-N-O-E-T-O-S, A. N-O-E-T-O-S. It comes from nous, N-O-U-S, which is the word think or the word mind. We didn't have any mind, the alpha primitive, no right kind of thinking. Well, you know what that is? When you can't think right and you can't think rational. Insane. That's insane. When you look up the word insane, it'll say crazy, and you'll look, go look up crazy and it'll say the inability to think rational. The, the whole nation is crazy, aren't they? They can't think rational. Insane. We ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient to God. We were disobedient. Not the evil vessels of wrath, but you and me. Serving divers... Epithumia, E-P-I-T-H-U-M-I, E-P-I-T-H-U-M-E-O. Thumeo means to breathe hard, to superimpose breathing hard after I just got to have what I want. And I'm going to get revenge if I don't get it. You're not supposed to get revenge. We're supposed to be gentle, kind, and tenderhearted at all times. And pleasures, living in malice. We were living in kakia, K-A-K-I-A. K-A-K-I-A. This is not talking about unbelievers. Not one word of this book was written to unbelievers. It comes. It is a form of the word kakos, which is the word evil. It's the common word evil in the New Testament. We were living in evil and envy. Phothonos. P-H-O-T-H-O-N-O-S. Envy is the word P-H-O-T-H-O-N-O-S. Let me erase some of this. So we're talking about epios. Epiakana, excuse me. All right. All right. Envy, Phothonos. P-H-O-T-H-O-N-O-S. P-H-O-T-H-O-N-O-S. Phothonos means to be rotten. It means to be, 
to have an evil way of thinking through jealousy and spite. That's talking about us. Has anybody been spiteful here and evil? But you had a right. Somebody did you wrong, stole something from you, didn't you? No, we don't have that right. Living like Christ is what we've been predestined to. And learning to do that. Never, I'm sorry, but you'll probably have to get old to learn this. Not to do wrong to anybody for any reason. Now, you may be real gentle. Like Dan back there. He's a real gentle guy. But there's stuff goes on in your heart that none of us see. Isn't that true? He's going, yeah. <laughs> I told my brother-in-law that one time. He had about the same disposition as Dan. I said, Jerry, you're so easy going about everything, but you're really not, are you? He said, no, I'm not. I said, you never open your mouth. You never get mad, never show it, but it's going on inside, and it's eating you up inside, isn't it? And he said, yeah. You see, this goes on in every man. It's just the way life is. That's the way we are. We're just sinners. And then he goes on to say, envy, hateful, stagnatos, odious, stinking to people. Odious, and hating one another. We're not supposed to be doing that. Hating one another. And after that, the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. It wasn't anything you did that caused him to come upon you, but by his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration renewing of the Holy Ghost. The word regeneration is the word palingenesia. P-A-L-I-N-G-E-N-N-E-S-I-A. It means to birth you back to what you once were when you were a baby and cause you to become innocent again with that inner man. The inner man is innocent. This man out here is guilty. And that's why our faith has to increase because we're guilty but you say, I thought we were justified. Well, we are. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Called, justified, and glorified are all aorist indicative verbs. And that's a past tense verb. That means before the foundation of the world... We were justified in the mind of God because he's going to birth us and overcome that outer man over our entire life by fire, by trials, by persecution. And that word justified, D-I-K-A-I-O-O, -O, means to render innocent. You have to be innocent, but it's not that outer man. Don't take this so easily in your life because you still got that outer man that won't do right every one of us have it don't we Whew. let me give you a verse that reminds me huh yeah i'll read seven 
that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The word heir is a word that you find over there in, in Ephesians 1 and 11 when the Bible says, we have obtained an inheritance to be an heir. An heir is the word clero nomos. It means a legal portion. Lawful. Nomos is the word law. This is the word heir. Inheritance is the word kleronomia, K-L-E-R-O-N-O-M-I-A. And it means a lawful portion. Why are we? Uh, why do we have a lawful portion? Anybody know why? Because of verse five of Ephesians one, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him that works all things. Oh, excuse me, that's verse eleven. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, He has adopted us. Adoption. Adoption means, here yeah, I've drawn a blank, uh, place sons, huio, H-U-I-O-T-H-E-S-I-A, huothosia, huios is the word sons, huios is sons, tithome means to place, you don't place yourself as a son if you go to an orphanage, and you're the orphan in the orphanage, you don't say, I want to be this one's son here. The one that's come to the orphanage picks out the son and adopts them according to their will. And God has adopted us and made us legal heirs, and we are heirs of Christ and joint heirs with him. And that's the inner man. One of these days he's coming back and going to give us this outer man. We are supposed to be gentle and kind and tender-hearted. There's a word that I, I got many more on this. I may come back and give you some more. But I've got a word over here I want to give you. And this is what David was trying to do with Saul, if I can find it. The Bible says that we are to be Orkotoreo. It's the word, one of the words, mercy. Oikos. Oiko. T-E-I-R-O. This is one of the words, mercy. And it means oikos. O-I-K-O-S. House or family. house or family, and tereo. Tereo means to protect and to guard the house of God. That's exactly what David was doing with Saul. He was trying to guard the house of God, which he said Saul is God's king. If God wants him dead, God will kill him. David didn't try to get vengeance. He didn't try to tell Saul off and he never lost his temper at Saul when Saul was trying to kill him. Never. He was always trying to protect Saul. 
Twice David had a chance of destroying Saul. Caught him in a cave one time, cut off the skirt of his garment, went outside the cave, held the garment up and said, Abner, you're supposed to be Saul's head general over there. You're supposed to be captain of the host. I was in the cave there and I had, I was, had access to Saul. You wasn't guarding him right. He didn't jump Saul. He jumped Abner, his bodyguard. David was trying to protect Saul. Another time they were in a trench and God brought a deep sleep to come upon Saul's armies and they couldn't wake up. And David said, I'm going to go over there and check out Saul. And Abishai, David's nephew, said, I'll go with you, Uncle David. Abishai was a loud mouth, know-it-all, always running his mouth. And each time they'd get close to Saul, Abishai said, I'll kill him, Uncle David. He said, you don't touch him. He's the Lord's anointed. God will stop him when he wants to. It, people that have tried to stop this ministry, and there's been a lot of them tried to stop it. Let me tell you what's going to happen. I'll show you exactly what's going to happen. Look over here in Acts. Go to the book of Acts. You can't stop the will of God being done. Look here in Acts 5. Peter had been taken captive by the Pharisees. They wanted to stop this. What's amazing, the fifth chapter of Acts, you're still at Pentecost. They're at Pentecost for several chapters there. Peter is... The life of Peter, besides being in the gospel, is Acts 1 through Acts 12. That's Peter's life. Paul enters the scene at 13, and Paul goes through the end of the book, through 28. That's Paul's life here. This is Peter's life. And Peter is out here, and they, him and John have healed a man at the temple, and the Pharisees are upset at him. And they take Peter, and they put him in jail and give him a hard time. There's a man that they are taken before, very smart man. One of Paul's teachers when he was young, his name is Gamaliel. And look here, and Gamaliel speaks to these Pharisees because he's a Pharisee and he knows all about the Scriptures and truth. Verse 33. And when they heard they, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay Peter and the other apostles. Then stood there up in the council Sanhedrin. S-A-N-H-E-D-R-I-M. Sanhedrin was the council at Jerusalem. It was a semicircle. They would stand the accused in front of them. And there were 70 men. It was believed they were probably patterned after the 70 judges, 70 men that helped Moses in the wilderness. When Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, came to Moses and said, you need some help. We need to appoint some men to help you judge all of Israel. Because Moses was judging everything from a chicken thievery to murder. So here's the Sanhedrin. That is the word Sanhedrin in the original text. They called the uh, 
counseled. Uh, there was a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. That was Paul's teacher. That's why Paul was so brilliant in languages, because he had learned all this from the time he was youth. Had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And said unto them, this is Gamaliel talking to them, smart man. And said unto them, ye men of Israel, take heed, prosecco. I love that word. P-R-O-E-C-H-O. Hold, echo, we hold a sound. It means to hold toward. It means to pay attention. Pay attention to me. This is what Gamaliel tells him. Pay attention. And I'll say this to people. God started this ministry and you can't stop it. You may hinder it along the way, but you can't stop it. Pay attention to yourselves that you tend to do as touching these apostles, these men. For there, before these days rose up Thetis, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves. This was a man bringing about some insurrection who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to nothing. After this man rose up, Judas of Galilee, in the days of taxing, drew away much people after him. This is another insurrectionist. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I said to you, refrain from these men, from Peter and John and the rest, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. I'm telling you, if this counsel here is of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it lest happily you be found even to fight against God. When you start trying to stop something from going on, God will take his revenge whenever he gets ready. We should never seek revenge, ever. And to him that they agreed, when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, but they let them go, and that doesn't mean anything to them. I've been commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus in a bank this past week. You think that bothered me? No. Does that mean I'm going to quit? No. <laughs> They'll have to kick me out of the bank first. Now, let me give you, how much time do I have, Mike? How long? I need to go back to Paul. I'll go back to Saul. I'm kind of moving through this a little at a time. Saul is trying to kill David back over here in First Samuel. He's been David was made king by God's will in the sixteenth chapter because Saul had turned away from God in the thirteen in eleven, thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen. 
And God takes Saul off the throne by the mouth of Samuel the prophet. It's amazing how that that Saul believed Samuel except when he said something negative about him. He said, you tell God that I'm all sorry and I won't do what I was going to do and I won't kill David anymore, uh, but I want to be back on the throne. And Samuel would say, no, it's over. You're done. You're not king anymore. And as of the 16th chapter through the 31st chapter, in the eyes of God, David is king. God has Samuel anoint David as king. He's just a shepherd boy in southern Judah. And Saul says, I don't care what God says. I, I think that's like us. I don't care what God says. I'm going to get my revenge on this man that stole my position on my job. Nobody stole anything from you. God caused that to happen. Can't we get that through our heads? If he works all things after the counsel of his own will, that means everything that you think you've been done wrong on, he did that too. And everything give thanks, you mean you're supposed to be thankful when you get cheated? Yes. What he's doing is teaching that outer man, you can't have your way. You have to bow to my way. You have to iteo. And when God solves things, it's not always the way we think it's going to be solved. He takes his revenge and his time. Not our time. I've always, I've wanted revenge a lot of times. Now, God just killed that man in the car wreck, okay? <laughs> you, ever, you ever prayed like that? Uh, we don't have any right to do that. I've got so many other verses on this. When your enemy falls and stumbles, you're not supposed to pray that he keeps stumbling. And you're not even to rejoice in it. If you can see your worst enemy, God picking him up and cast him into hell, are you going to applaud that? No. Let's go back over here. Now Saul is coming to the end of his life. He's tried to kill David several times. And every time Saul would get caught, he'd come out in the public, see David at a distance, and he'd say, Is that my son David? Watch out, smooth talk. You can't believe smooth talk. Because David said, Now nah, I know he's going to kill me because he's trying to flatter me. Boy, it's really difficult to... Uh, Learn how to act as a Christian, isn't it? I'm talking to Christians, to believers. Get rid of this outer man. Get rid of self. He's got to go. I have learned as I get old, it's easier not to fight than it is to fight. Just life becomes easier. Well, you're going to let them have their way. Yeah, I'll let them have their way. Sure. If they want their way, you think I'm going to change it? You can't change anybody. You can't, you can't born. I've had people call me and say, can you tell me things I can say to my mother to cause her to be elect? No, I can't. She was either elect before the foundation of the world or she's a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction. I couldn't even get my own mother to be elect. Now, we're over here. Saul is coming to the end of his life. He's tried everything. Now he goes to the witch of Endor he knows he's going against the Philistines the next day. 
He's going to fight them at Mount Gilboa. It's believed Mount Gilboa was somewhere down on the eastern border of the Dead Sea, somewhere down in here. Mount Gilboa. They, some say it was a chain of mountains. It's really difficult to find out where Gilboa was. I've looked on maps and everything else. And he goes, he's going to go fight Saul at Mount Gilboa. And then David goes to the Philistines in that 29th chapter. He goes to King Achish. Achish was his friend. Achish was the Philistine kings. Here's the land of Philistia, Philistines. And Achish was one of their kings. When Saul was chasing David, he runs all over the country Finally, he seeks, he seeks solace and seeks some kind of refuge among the Philistines. And he goes in and scrabbles on a wall and spit runs down his face. And the Philistine princes say, well, guy's crazy. We don't need to kill him. He's nuts. And he does that acting. He's pretending to be something's wrong with his head. But Achish, the king there, he takes to David and really likes him. And so Achish tells David, I'm going to give you a city for your own. Well, you can go back to. And David accepts the city. It's called Ziklag. This is David's city. He owns it. <coughs> Given to him by Achish. A-C-H-I-S-H. Achish is one of the kings of the Philistines. David found it necessary, and then David would go out during the day and take his army, and he would attack Philistine people, and then Achish would come to him that night and say, what have you been doing today? He said, I've been out attacking Israel. <laughs> he just lied Achish. Now, we've got David coming to the end. We've got Saul coming to the end of his life. Let's start reading here in chapter 30. Verse 1. Chapter 29 is where Achish gives David the city of Ziklag. And where the princes say, David can't go with us to battle because he is our enemy. He is our Satan. It says adversary in verse 4 of chapter 29. So the next day Saul is going to go out against the Philistines. Now this is Saul's reward for not doing the will of God when Samuel says David is king you're not king anymore. If that comes into your life and you think somebody's being unfair to you, it is the will of God. Everything's the will of God. Everything that happens. When you let me say this about prayer. Prayer doesn't mean you're allowing God's will to be done in your life. Doesn't mean that. Prayer means the will of God is being done and you're going to bow to it. That's all it means. The will of God is going to be done in your life whether you bow to it or not. And when you don't bow to it, he's going to deal with you because you don't want to bow to his will. Accept everything that happens. It's God's will. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. God has declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times everything that's not yet done. What is not yet done? You getting a ticket? Somebody cheating you? If that's not yet done, God has declared that and he's helping you to get over yourself. You're going to find out one day 
having that special deal that you thought was yours is not a big deal after all. I've said this so many times. I was a basket case in 1967. I thought I couldn't live. And you know what that feels like to me now, what I was going through in 1967, 68? You could come up to me and say, somebody poured a glass of water out on the pavement out there, and I'd say, oh, okay. That's about what it means to me now. Nothing is, turns out to be as bad as you thought it was going to be. Did you ever notice that? Nothing. I'm going to be ruined if this happened and you're not. You keep living. Now, let's read here. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. This is David's city. And David has already been told he can't go against the Philistines, so he's going to take his army and go against these Amalekites. And had taken the women captives that were therein. These are David's people. Whew. Don't want to get caught doing that. And they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. You think David's going to go somewhere and sit down? No, he's going to do what he needs to do. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had more power. They had no more power to weep. They just wept themselves out because of they had destroyed David's city. And David's two wives were taken captive: Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God and David said to Abiathar the priest Ahimelech's son the one who escaped the slaughter of Doeg you remember that that was Ahimelech was the high priest and Abiathar was his son and he's the only one that escaped when when Saul killed 85 of the priests of God. Bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. The ephod is the breastplate with the 12 stones on it. And I shall pursue after this troop. Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David went. And he and the 600 men, he has 600 men with him, that were with him and came to the brook Besor, where they that left behind stayed. But David pursued he 400 men. So he takes 400 and keeps going after these marauders. For 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. Uh, Besor. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat and they made him a drink of water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water for three days and three nights. Now there's three days and three nights again. Don't even have time to go into that. Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights, but it wasn't actually three days and three nights. It was half a part of a day, a full day, and then a part of another day, and that's called synecdoche, a part being the whole. 
And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to the Amalekites, and my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. So there's the three days. And we made an invasion upon the south of the Carathites and upon the coast which belonged to Judah. And upon the south of Caleb we burned Ziklag with fire. He's telling David this and Ziklag is his city. And David said unto him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. I will bring thee down to this company. I'll take you. I'll lead you to these men that burned your city. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing. This is David's enemies, the Amalekites. Because of all the great spoil that had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David killed them from twilight even unto evening of the next day. That is a battle. Twilight is as the sun is going down all the way through the next day. He's slaughtering these people. And there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to him, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that had taken them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and herds which they drave before them, other cattle, and said, This is David's spoil. It's mine. It belongs to me. David came to the 200 men which were waiting for them, which were so faint that they could not follow David when, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. They went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. Now God's going to deliver David because he's the king. He's going to be the king in the next book. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them and answered all of the wicked men and the men of Belial, Belial is another name for evil or wicked or the devil. Of those that went with David and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man and his wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, You shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us and our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be to him that tarrieth with the stuff. They're going to get an equal division. That's what he's saying. These 200 that stayed back here, no, no, no. They stayed and took care of the stuff that we had. And we went into the battle, and it's all split so that there will be Gosh, there's a lot to be said about that over there in the 8th chapter of Second Corinthians so that there would be an equality among all the believers. Everybody gets to share in this. David is a fair man. It's, he's showing this to show how fair he is. And it was from that day forward that they made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. When David came to Ziklag, his home city, he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold, a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. 
So he shares with the men that are back at home that are the leaders. And to them which were in Bethel, and to them which were in South Ramoth, and to them which were in Jetar, and to them which were in Aror, and to them that were in Sipmoth, and to them that were in Eshtemoah, and to them which were in Raquel, and to th he's, he's, sharing, he's sharing with everybody. If we really truly are believers, and I'm going to hit on this on a Wednesday night going through this spiritual Passover and spiritual baptism, I'm going to hit on how that we are supposed to have all things common. Now, you can't give away everything you've got, but you're supposed to be very liberal in your giving to the needy. And then he goes on down here, to them which were in Haramah, to them which were in Korashan. There's a lot said here. David's sharing with everybody. To them that were in Akhtha, and to them that were in Hebron, and to all the places there David himself and his men were wont to haunt or where they ran. Now, chapter 31, Saul dies. God says, I've had my enough. I've had my fill of you. I've had enough of you, Saul. You have ignored my will. And he goes to Gilboa and fights the Philistine. He is utterly outnumbered. No way. Besides that, God won't hear his prayers anymore. He keeps trying to pray to God. God says, I'm not listening. You have not paid any attention to me. This can be our demise in life when we ignore the will of God. The will of God is being done. Bow to it. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew wonderful Jonathan, David's friend. That's a sad part there. Saul brought about destruction on his own family because of his greed for the throne. You can bring destruction to your own family because of you wanting your way and wanting revenge and vengeance. I've said this to people who left here. Be careful. When you condemn the preacher, if he's God's preacher, God may deal with you severely through your children. He did with Eli. He killed his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. He killed Aaron's two evil sons that were priests of God. He said, if you mourn over these two, I'll even kill you, Abraham, uh, Aaron. The will of God is being done. We can either bow to it or not. And if we don't, God will deal severely with us, just like he's doing with Saul here. The Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. Remember when he went to the witch of Endor and said, bring up Samuel, and she couldn't, and God brought up Samuel. And Samuel said, tomorrow you and your sons are going to go into battle against the Philistines, and you're going to die, and you're going to be with me. That's what he told him, didn't he? And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit Saul, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then Saul said Saul unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith. Kill me. He gives an order to kill him. Why? Those Philistines were going to torture him mercilessly, and he knew that. 
lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not. He said, I can't do that. So Saul commits suicide. Does that change Samuel's prophecy that tomorrow you're going to die and you're going to be with me? Now, it's not what this outer man does. The outer man is going to sin up to the last minute. Can anybody here name me, give me the name of the last sin you committed? <laughs> you can't, can you? Well, it's not suicide. You can't repent of suicide. The inner man is perfect. He can't sin. It's only the outer man that will commit suicide. And Saul committed suicide, and David said he was the anointed of the Lord. Let's keep reading. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword, thrust me through, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through, and they abuse me, and they torture me. But his armor bearer would not, but he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. He committed suicide. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise on his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men in the same day together when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley and they that were on the other side of Jordan saw that the men of Israel fled and that Saul and his sons were dead. Why is this? Why is he being whipped? He's not doing the will of God. If you're obedient to God, you'll go against your enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways. He's completely disobedient to God all the way to the end. You mean a man can be that way? Yeah. They forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. They take over Israel's cities. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head, stripped off his armor. This is the reward for ignoring this is the judgment for annoying the will of God through God's prophet or God's preacher. And sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of the Ashtaroth, the female tree deities, and fastened his body to the wall of Bashin. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard of that which Saul, which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men of Jabesh Gilead. What are we reminded of Jabesh Gilead? That's first Saul's first battle in the 11th chapter of this book. The men of Jabesh Gilead had been threatened by Nahash, the king of the Ammonites. And when they were threatened, Saul got upset and went and delivered the men of Jabesh Gilead. Jabesh Gilead was about halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea on the eastern bank of the Jordan. And he delivers them. And these men remember Saul's good deed to save their city. So they go get Saul. And the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bashan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. 
Am I out of time? When you get to the next chapter, there's a young man that comes to David and said, I killed your enemy, Saul. Ooh. We don't know exactly what happened. And Saul says to this young man, you are so presumptuous to think you can destroy the Lord's anointed. And he turned to two young men and said, fall upon him and kill him. And they did in that first chapter of Second Samuel. Well, we finally got Saul dead, didn't we? <laughs> Taking us a long time to get there. I hope this can be a lesson to you about revenge and about having your way. You can't, when God has made up his mind about your life, it doesn't matter what you've been. You can be a big company owner and have millions of dollars. You can end up out here driving a truck for some vendor, making $400 a week. You're still where God wants you to be. It doesn't matter what you used to have. What you used to have is neither here nor there. When God breaks this country, it ain't going to matter what people used to have. We're going to come back next week. I'm going to talk some more. We're going to get into 2 Samuel. We're going to see David become most righteous king. All the world's going to recognize him in, in 2 Samuel. All the world's going to come to him and bow to him because he's such a good man. And then he really gets messed up in the 11th chapter. Commits adultery and murder. Man, the Bible's going to teach us how we need to accept the will of God in our life. Accept everything. I'm talking to you like a 79-year-old man because that's what I am. I can't talk to you any other way, and I know some of you may not even understand all of this. I'm talking about, in reality, understand how you're supposed to live. Go ahead and fight for the next 40 years, and then you're going to find out it don't work. You wake up one day and you'll say, this hasn't worked, my fighting. I think I'll quit this. When you learn that and accept what happens as the will of God, you'll stop arguing. You'll stop trying to get people back. Stop trying to be, get revenge. Have your way. Getting angry. Getting involved in your old gay. I'll get you back. I'm covetous and I want what I want. And I have a right to it. Let me tell you what you have a right to hell that's the only thing you have a right to well let's pray father thank you for truth teach us how we ought to be and act and present ourselves in the world gentle and kind and tender-hearted thank you for bringing me to a place i know i still struggle with some things lord but i pray you'll teach the church that gentle kindness with plainness of speech, not compromising the word of God, is the only way to act and to be. Thank you for truth. Cause us to continue in this way that you put us in. I don't even know what to ask for anymore, Lord. Just like the song says, He leadeth me. Oh, blessed thought, thank you for that. You are truly leading me now as never before. 
Thank you for truth. In Christ's name, amen. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort thought. Is it wrong to bring 